Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Want to know why the markets are ripping? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today, RV co-founder Raul Pal and Darius Dale, founder of 42 Macro. Hi, gents. Hey, Maggie. How are you? Hey, Maggie. Happy Friday. Cheers. Yeah, we're having... <laughs> It's a pink Friday for both of us today. And <laughs> across Jeez. the board on Real Vision today, it's very weird. Darius and I were just talking about it. Uh, wardrobe, drinks, everything. But I like it. It's optimistic. And I like that. Right. Okay. It's, it, everyone's really looking forward to this. We've got a ton of people in the chat. Before we dive in, though, a quick progro- programming note. Uh, for the regulars, you know, today is extended daily briefing. So we're going to go for an hour. We're going to take a ton of questions, but you have to be a member to stay past a half hour. And that's probably where we're going to tackle a lot of the questions because we want to hear what Raul and Darius are thinking first. So if you're not already a member, scan that QR code, get on a trial so you can participate. We have the best community in the world. Just today, we did a live academy sessions where our members came on and asked Roger Hurst questions. Um, and applied some of the figure out how to apply some of the lessons we cover in the academy and the master classes uh, in the real world. It was a great conversation. I mean, the level of experience in this group is ridiculous. And a big shout out to Sean, Stephen, and Christopher, who were amazing today. I know a lot of them are listening or in the chat. Really appreciate you. If you missed it, you can catch it on the platform on Plus. So be sure to look out for that as well. And Raul, you and I just came from Elaine's DGen happy hour. Some of those folks are in this chat too. I, did, like- the, I did the Elaine's happy hour, which is always fun. The DGen happy hour, talking about NFTs and crazy stuff of which nobody understands what's going on. Straight into watching the uh, Academy sessions, which was really fabulous. I mean, one guy was, one guy did the opening trade on the S&P 500 futures. He's a, he's a Real Vision member who was at Bear Stearns for years. Um, a trader. The other guy's a bond fund manager. The other guy's a technologist. Got his own company, but loves options. I mean, yeah. who? I mean, I just love this Real Vision community. All sorts of crazy people there. Just such talent. I know it's amazing. Christopher is amazing. And um, those of you who are in on our platform chat, you know him, so you can put a face to the name. It was so fun today. So yeah, it, it's amazing. So we want to do that same thing here, right? We want to we want to make it um, interactive. We want to dive into some of these questions that you've been asking every day as we're watching the daily briefing. Uh, so we're going to put it to, to Darius and Raul, but I want to start first. Um, so we had a stronger than expected jobs number. Stocks are ripping. Everyone's wondering what's going on. Debt ceiling crisis over, but now questions about what happens next with interest rates and some concerns around that. So can we have each of you start by sort of laying out your overview, just a quick overview of how you're thinking about the economy and the markets right now. Rao, why don't you start? So my general view is from the work that we do at GMI, I think the market's priced in, and I've talked about this many times, a recession last year. So the year-on-year rate of change, I'll show the chart later, of the NASDAQ got down to uh, expecting the ISM to get to 37, deep recession. So we're on the backside of that as future liquidity is increasing. But also, you know, a simple thing is if you go back to 2018, the moment the Fed paused, the markets ripped. I've always said, you know, after you've gone through a whole miserable year like last year and you've got 
things like technology that's advancing, the narrative kind of builds and builds and builds, and the Fed take their foot off the beach ball and it's underwater, it, it explodes higher. And so you've got this kind of crazy disconnect where people can't get their heads around why the markets are rising. And it's a both a matter of, oh, finally, we can own equities and take some risk again. But also there is an underlying forward-looking element of the liquidity cycle and the business cycle that's priced. We're still in the downside of the business cycle that Darius and I will both go through in a bit. But markets often like to look forward somewhat, and that confuses people. People always look at today as the snapshot. Today's actually never the day. Today's news is not the important news. The important news is what's going on in the forward-looking stuff. Mm -hmm. Darius, what about you? Absolutely. So I agree with uh, probably 90% of what you said, Raul, and then we can obviously unpack the other 10%. Uh, but in terms of, of that, focusing on that 10%, uh, we would say, yes, we very much agree the market's going to continue to squeeze bears to the high heavens. Uh, we don't believe that we've seen the ultimate lows of this market cycle. Uh, we may retest the lows at some yeah. point. Um, we're very much of the view that we did not price in a recession last year. What we actually priced in, in our opinion, was the change in the, in the liquidity cycle. Um, obviously, the liquidity cycle has evolved a little bit since then, uh, so it's created some, some, some um, obviously positive trading conditions. But we don't see that as a durable inflection in the liquidity cycle. We still think that durable inflection is ahead of us. Therefore, we still see, you know, maybe in two quarters time, a significant amount of market risk associated with pricing in the lows of the business cycle. So you think, so you think, just to, to clarify, so you think there's another leg lower, either a retest or a new low to come out of the markets overall before, and that, that would be Q3, Q4 this year? No, no, not not as soon as that. No, uh, we we do believe there's probably going to be weakness this summer, which is also something we can unpack because of the changing liquidity landscape over the next few months. But that's not what I'm uh, really worried about here, because I do think we'll recover and rally from whatever low we reach in the summertime. From whatever peak we reach on the other side of that this fall, I do believe the markets are going to have to start to price in the actual credit cycle associated with the liquidity drain that we've experienced in 2021 through 2022. Uh, and that, in my opinion, Again, put a banana in my head, I don't have a crystal ball, but a best guess scenario based on our business cycle timing models suggests that that process should start sometime in Q4 or sometime in Q1 based on the modal outcome and the second highest probability outcome of when a recession is likely to commence. So one of the things, I'm going to jump in for a second. One of the things I love is that you're putting timeframes to this because that is really important and that is often what trips people up and they think everyone has these contradictory ideas and it's really just they're operating off a, a time frame and Raul, you and I talk about this all the time. Um, so the we have we have questions and people are enthusiastic. Some of these questions are a paragraph long. So I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna dive in the chat. I'm gonna step out for a second. Liquidity is key to this. This has come up almost every day. Raul, you've been posting stuff on the platform about this being so important. And Darius, I know it's it's central to what you're looking at as well. You just mentioned it. Can you both go back and forth a little bit and dig into that? And people are already asking you to do that um, and, and explain and start out, please, also explaining by what you mean. We've got people on different parts of the journey here. So what do you mean when you're throwing that term around? And then can you talk about how, where you may agree? And I don't know, maybe some places you disagree. Darius, kick us off and I'll step out and jump in in a minute. I'm going to jump in the chat. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just be real quick and then we can unpack, you know, any of the, the summaries of the later in the presentation. Uh, I'll just be real quick. So in terms of how we think about liquidity, we think about, you know, sort of just the unencumbered money sloshing around the financial system that can be used to speculate in asset markets. Uh, obviously, the central banks are a major player of that. Commercial banks are a major player of that primarily through the repo market. And obviously, central banks can also be a secondary player in that primarily through their FX reserves. So uh, we've created a, a proxy 
both for the global economy, but also for all the major economies in the world. Um, that includes the central bank balance sheets, the F network money supply, and FX reserves minus gold as a sort of you know catch-all proxy for liquidity. And that catch-all proxy on a global basis has a 0.94 R square with the S&P since 2009, has a point, you know, 0.86 R square with Bitcoin since 2009, which obviously is pretty remarkable given how aggressively Bitcoin uh, tends to trade. And so these things, you know, are very big drivers of asset markets. Well, I think you obviously very much agree with that. Um, you know, one thing that we think that's sort of a, a boogeyman with respect to the immediate term liquidity cycle is the return of Uncle Sam to international capital markets. We have not issued debt on a net basis uh, since January in terms of the U.S., and that's going to be an issue regardless of how Janet Yellen decides to refill the TGA. Uh, and secondarily, we don't believe that we are at a durable positive inflection of liquidity cycle. We did bottom in October, very much agree with that point. But however, the process to getting to more and more liquidity, like an unimpeded rise in liquidity, we have not met those mile markers yet. So uh, we can unpack any of that uh, later in the presentation. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series how to unfuck your future. So we're going to do it again. March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. Perfect. What I will do, because this, firstly, just talk about the definition of liquidity, and then I'll come on to a bit of my work and how I frame some of this. And you've not seen, in fact, I've not shared it with anybody apart from GMI members, so virtually nobody's seen the everything code. They've heard me talk about it. But what I've kind of unpacked within this is, yes, liquidity, the regular styles of liquidity, but there's the different style of liquidity, which seems to be the Fed balance sheets, that I think is a debasement of currency. So it all assets rise versus the denominator, which a lot of people can't get their heads around. And so optically, everything goes up. So I started using a different denominator to look at asset prices. Like the S&P has pretty much gone nowhere since 2012, if you use the balance sheet. Yep. In fact, real estate, gold, S&P 500, nowhere. While NASDAQ, crypto, up a lot. You know, with NASDAQ one, crypto the other. Okay, because they're both secular adoption curves of technology. So you can understand why it does it. So that's the difference I've got with liquidity to most, this debasement idea, and that it has a very different profound impact. Mm. In the Everything Code, and I'll, I'll send it to you, Darius, because it's like 18 years of work, and I got to, I think, I think it's a thesis, it's a hypothesis, but I think I've got to figure out why it happens, which is, I think it's to do with the monetization of the interest payments of every of the major governments, every three and a half years, which is between the three-year and five-year average duration of their debt, which has made the ISM completely cyclical because everybody reset interest rates to zero. We had a global, I only realized this recently when I wrote the article. In fact, after I wrote the article, the global reset everyone's worried about or wanted or thought about happened in 2008 when <laughs> all rates went to zero with basically a debt jubilee. 
Yeah, it was. There's no jet, there's no payments at that point. So what's happened since then, the refi of the debt has created this cyclicality. And I figured out, and I'll show you the chart, which I've never shown outside of GMI so far, I'll show it in a minute, is that the interest payments exactly mirror Fed balance sheet growth. Mm. And I was like, holy shit, I discovered this by mistake. And I'm like, holy shit. And then it went down the rabbit hole that I then did the same for the UK, Europe, Japan, and they're all the same. Oh. So they're all monetizing their interest payments. So that's what ends up in the balance sheet plus any banking crisis, right? So that's the extra delta that adds on top. So then I started looking at it and realizing, I think I've got a forward, I can look forward on the monetary cycle in this way because we've got forward-looking indicators. Now, are they going to hold all that stuff? Who knows, right? But I think I can look forwards and I think I can look forward out till end of 2025. And because of the, with our weekly liquidity index gives us a 97.5% correlation with the S&P 500, NASDAQ as well, that we can talk, we can put prices on assets going out to 2025. Now, I won't show them here because I don't want everybody to go, Ralph's predicting this. Because you know what it's like. We've got a thesis. We don't know. But anyway, that's what I got to with all this. I'm going to show you some of the charts because I think you'll find them interesting anyway. And I'm going to some of your stuff to see the difference. So let's see if I can share this now. And quick question before you even uh, share your charts. Oh, yeah. When you say they were monetizing the interest payments, are you talking about economy-wide interest payments or just on the public sector balance sheet? Um, it is just, it's the government balance sheet only. And the reason being, actually, this is a really important point. Thank you for the question. Why is this happening? All the major governments got to 100% of GDP in debt, mm. except Japan, which is 260, whatever it is. So when they get to 100% of GDP in debt, most of their private sectors are about 100% of GDP in debt, more or less. So if interest rates are at 2% and GDP is growing at 2%, I think of GDP growth as, as your income to service your debts. Mm -hmm. It is. So therefore, the government crowds out all of the private sector just by its interest payments. And in which case, the economy will keep shrinking by the amount that the private sector has to pay. So what they've done is removed the government interest payments. So then you've just got the corporate sector and that is why it's one of the reasons why it ends up on the balance sheet, but GDP is slow because we've got these these gigantic interest payments. Because as you know, nobody pays off their debt; they just keep adding to it and refining it, and and it keeps going. So that's what I kind of have figured out. And I'll, I'll show you some charts of this. But yes, it's the reason of, that's why the government can do it. It sticks it all on to not crowd out the private sector because if not, everything blows up. So here's some of the charts. So Here's, we found, and, and you're familiar with this, is we found that the rate of change is actually probably more important. Agreed. Overall, but, you know, the overall trend of liquidity works very well as well. We both get high R squares from doing this against multiple assets. So here's our weekly uh, uh, global liquidity. This is the G5 central bank balance sheets, this version. Um, we've got some monthly ones. We've got various different liquidity indicators, but this one works extremely well. So we have a um financial conditions index which is based around the rate of change of the dollar rates commodities and that started picking up this is why we picked up the low it actually came in june when we picked up the low in ethereum and then we confirmed by about <coughs> october as actual liquidity started changing 
So that's when we started getting more aggressive on, on our technology bets and crypto bets. It has a five-month lead um, over global liquidity. So, so this, and again, this is time horizon. I'm less focused on the where we're going in the short term. There could be TGA stuff, whatever. We're not looking for exact matches here. We're like directionally, what happens? So directionally, this is suggesting, and this indicator has been pretty good for asset price and everything else. I'll come on to that in a sec. The ISM leads it by 15 months. And the reason being, which is weird, is because it's so perfectly cyclical. So each previous cycle looks like the, the next cycle. So we found that. Now, will this be persistent? I don't know, but I think it will be. So it's suggesting that forward-looking liquidity is going to go significant into 2024. Mm -hmm. Here's the chart that I've not shown anybody yet. <clears throat> this is the Fed balance sheet versus the interest payments leading by 36 months. Mm -hmm. And this goes back all the way back to the beginning of QE, and it's amazing. Um, now, it's suggesting now should be in the, you know, obviously we had this little spike from the, from the banking issue. Now it suggests that it should be slowing down <clears throat> in its rate of change and eventually starts going up in Q3. Let's mm -hmm. see, right? This is, we've never used this before as a forecasting tool, but the correlation between this and the longer term version of this was pretty staggering. It's like, holy shit, it's just 36 months delayed payments is coming on the balance sheet. So that's the, that's the big hypothesis. So there's the weekly liquidity outright versus the NASDAQ, which is the one that you'll suggest, okay, this is probably rolling over. Maybe the TGA sucks from this. We don't know yet, but look, it's not going up, but the NASDAQ is. That's got a lot of people saying well, it's decoupling from liquidity. However, back in 2018-19, when the Fed stopped, it completely decoupled from liquidity then. This is this beach ball effect. So I'm like, okay, that's not unreasonable. I, I get it. And the year-on-year -year rate of change of liquidity and the NASDAQ is consistent. So I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I can see why the NASDAQ could outperform at this point. Uh, you know, crypto in 2019 at its peak was up to 300% and then came back being down a hundred up a hundred percent, you know, pulled back for most of the back end of the year. So mm. it's like, okay, fine. We can see that as animal spirits come back in, the year on year rate of change of liquidity. So I've been looking at that, that the NASDAQ is outperforming liquidity. This financial conditions index um, was the thing that gave us a nine month lead where we think we are on the business cycle. So exact, you know, whether this is the exact match dates or whatever, but it suggests we've got one more blast lower below, let's say 45, before we start basing. Now, as you know, the economy actually, GDP comes out a quarter later. So, you know, we wouldn't, you wouldn't see these numbers and you won't come out of a recession, even though, even though it looks like it's very V-shaped from this. It suggests that, you know, obviously, I think there's a lot of slowness to growth to come out of commercial real estate, the banking issues, a whole bunch of stuff. Meanwhile, all we're saying is forward-looking, our financial conditions suggest, okay, things are, are on the rise. And this leads the Goldman one by about six months or so as well, or nine months. And that's what gave us this view on the NASDAQ, is the NASDAQ had priced for us um, 37 in the ISM. Mm -hmm. So that was like, huh, okay, interesting. And that was where we thought from the financial conditions index, the ISM could go. So I'm like, okay, it seems fully priced. And 
most of the other asset prices were doing that as well. So that that's where we got to roughly with our thinking with this. And that helped us get long at the right time. The other liquidity cycle we've used, just simply because it seems to be a better fit on the year-on-year basis, is Global M2 seems to work very well for Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. that turned higher. Obviously, we know the Chinese have been increasing M2. I don't know where it is, 12.5% or so right now. And that's dragging this cycle higher. And I think probably um, Global M2 goes higher. So again, not looking for the wiggles here, looking for direction. We've probably got a M2 cycle at play. Um, globally, so wh- wh- whichever major countries that's a part of, and that should drive crypto. The other one I found really interesting, and I, I think I'm the first person to have found this one. Here's the ETH Bitcoin cross. Now, this would make sense to you. You're a financial markets guy. You know, stuff like junk bonds work out well from the bottom of the cycle upwards because they're riskier. So the smaller, less liquid asset tends to do better. The ETH Bitcoin cross seems to be a function of the ISM, which is the money supply and the business cycle, which is really interesting. So it suggests we should be going into the Ethereum zone versus the Bitcoin zone. You, you just gave me a phenomenal idea, Raul. So <laughs> most people watching probably know that you know, I'm certainly one of the thought leaders on, on relating factor investing back to the macroeconomic cycle. This right here, there's a big project here with respect to factor investing in crypto and relating that back to the liquidity cycle and the economic cycle. Excellent work. Yeah. And we've done, Julian, who works for me, Julian Bittle, has done some work on that as well. So we've managed to put together the macro allocation models, and it, it does fit in pretty well. The crypto cycle works. Um, so we've found that that's, uh, I'll stop sharing. So anyway, that's where my head's at. It's quite, <clears throat> it's a little bit different to most people's frameworks. Uh, it has a different look, but as I said, I, and I, I, I won't come on here to talk about them, but it gives forward projections of NASDAQ I mean, very high and crypto and everything, but it goes all the way out to 2025. And our top of the liquidity cycle, because we use the Chinese, the China credit cycle and a few other things to go further into the future, that still doesn't suggest we get to the year-on-year rate of change of zero in 20, end of 2025. So it feels like we're set up for a big cycle. Kind of makes sense to me because we've got a broken banking system, We've probably overhiked rates. We're going to have a sluggish economic cycle, and you know, and so in comes the cowbell. So anyway, that's my overall view. Sorry, the dogs are barking at somebody. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Hey guys, <laughs> if I can jump back in, yeah, great, fantastic, thanks, Nick. Um, Hilariously, Robert was thinking that in the chat that maybe your dogs were CGI, Raoul. And so now that we have that has been totally disproved by this. And I think that they they find the moment when they can interject and express their own opinion. We all know there were people in another life. So we, we appreciate yeah. your your pooches. I'm just gonna give everyone a heads up. Um, we are we usually try to sort of break right at the half hour to let you know that we're going to go, but we're gonna launch in, we're gonna get some um some uh Darius's charts as well. So I can see that we're going to swing past that. So I'm going to do it now and let you know that in a minute or two, we're going to hit that um, that cutoff point. Um, but we would love for you to all to continue. What yeah, you're if you watching- want Darius's charts, you better go across to the other side. That's yeah, the- yeah, yeah exactly. You want that bozo. That, but this is very seriously, these are the kind of conversations that we have all the time on the platform. That's why we 
tell you every day to join and be a member. We try to put as much of it on the daily briefing as we can so that we can inform you and keep you educated, but we we just don't have the time. It's not the venue that we can get into this kind of stuff in the detail and marry it with the academy and bring people on with charts to explain all the different frameworks and time. You know, it, it all needs to kind of to, to be put together, to link together. So we really encourage you scan the QR code, jump on a trial. We've always got them going on so that you can come over and check it out. Um, it's well worth it. So we're going to continue the conversation. We've had so many questions. So Darius is going to run through his thinking, and then we're going to bomb into some of these questions for them. If you are going to leave, have a fantastic weekend. We will see you on Monday. And remember, check the schedule next week because extended moves to Wednesday and Fridays are now 1 p.m. Summer Friday daily briefings. Happy hour daily briefings. These guys are giving us a little taste, um, but we'll see you. But I hope you all can come with us. So, okay, Darius, take it over to you. So walk us through your thinking and and some of what you just had to ingest on the fly from Rouse Every no pressure, from Rouse Everything Code, that bomb he just dropped on you. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 